I think I might have some sort of psychological disorder that compels me to subject myself to humiliation. (laughs) One of my most recent visits to, shall I call it, humble land, is when I sit down in front of the TV and watch the television show Jeopardy. You see, something inside of me tells me that I could so win at this game if I were a contestant on that show. No, I wouldn't. So I sit there and I play along. And some of you do this too. You've been guilty of it. I try to beat the real contestants on the show by shouting out answers before they give theirs. And I even answer them in the form of a question. What's wrong with me? But I do that. My poor family has been subjected to this for many years. My wife uh, kindly just sits back and rolls her eyes at me many times. And I'm not sure why I do it. I almost always do really poorly when I sit in front of that TV and I play along at Jeopardy. With the amount of wrong answers that I shout out, I'm certainly, I'm fairly certain anyway, that I would end up with negative figures by the time we got to final Jeopardy. They almost never have categories that I really do well with. But the problem with the show is once in a while they do. And I'll run it. And then I will be convinced that I am the man. And that I would crush if I were on that show. And that's why I keep going back. But tell me somebody. Why do they have categories like Russian ballet? I also struggle mightily with certain historical categories. I have to tell you, there's not a whole lot up here retained in my brain about 16th century monarchs, for example. Why do people know things like this? It's a little scary, the the, the knowledge and and the, 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 the width of their knowledge. So that said... I I don't usually do very well. And I don't want you to think that I'm an intellectual lightweight. I don't think that I am. I do know some things about history. And I will say that I do believe that history illustrates clearly that this world has always had the propensity to be a dangerous, sinister, dark place. I say often that just about the time that I think I've seen something in the newspaper that has has shown and demonstrated to me or something on the news, something that has shown to me and demonstrated me the lowest point of depravity that human beings can come to. The place where the human heart can go no lower. Just when I think I've witnessed it, something else happens. That is worse. And it only illustrates for me that I'm not mistaken when I, when I uh, say that this is a dark world. My point is there's a lot of darkness in our world, a lot of darkness in humanity. And it was just the same when Jesus was born that night. For the last four weeks or so in our church here at the Gospel Chapel, we've reflected on this powerful verse that you've heard a few times already tonight from Isaiah chapter 9, And in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And we talked in this series about that great light not being an object like the sun or the moon or, or some celestial body. But the great light is a person, 
Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And he has dawned on all people. I want to consider another passage for just a few moments from the epistle of 1 John. I want to go to chapter 1. I'd like to just consider this for a second. You can read along here in verse 5, beginning with verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. Do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. For just a few moments, would you please allow some phrases that I want to revisit from this little passage of Scripture? Would you allow them to ruminate in your mind? I want to start with this phrase. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Most of us have heard a statement, something to the effect of, Those two are as different as night is from day. They used to say that about my brother and I. I don't know which one of us was bad. I'm I'm going to say it was him. But anyway, (laughs) that baby that was found by the shepherds lying in a manger was truly very much like us because he was a human being. And he had that in common with you. He was very human. But he was also very different from us. Because he was the first human being that had no darkness in him at all. As different as the brightest day is from the darkest night is Jesus Christ from us. The great light spoken of in Isaiah chapter 9, or or yes, chapter 9 verse 2 is absolutely pure. No darkness at all. You know what I've often said as a pastor and standing up preaching in front of my congregation as we consider God and who he is. One of the things that I am most grateful for about God is that he is absolutely holy. He's never had a sinful, evil thought. He's never done one thing ever that has been evil because in God there is no darkness at all. And the unique thing about Jesus Christ, you and I can't say this, but this is the unique thing about Jesus Christ. He lived a full human life without ever one time sinning. Not one time. He was absolutely the light of the world. There wasn't any darkness in him. I can't say that. You can't say that. But that's who I'm talking about here tonight. And that's who we remember tonight. And that's who we celebrate tonight. There is no darkness in Jesus. That phrase, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves And the truth is not in us, warns us against fooling ourselves into believing that any human being could possibly be good enough to be in right standing with a God that has no darkness in him at all. On our own, I can't do it. You can't do it. We can't be good enough. That's why the argument, I'm a good person, doesn't wash. 
doesn't matter. The best person who ever lived will never be pure enough, holy enough to be in right standing with God. We needed the light. We needed Jesus Christ and what he came to the earth to do when he came to dispel darkness and make it possible for us to have a relationship with a holy, powerful God with no darkness in him whatsoever. It's incredible to me that God would come to this earth for anything other than to punish us. Why does he want a relationship with us? Why does he bother with us when we can't begin to even imagine the quantity of darkness in our own hearts without him? This world is ugly without him. And I don't understand why he wanted anything to do with us. But the thing is, he truly loves us. So instead of coming to do us harm, which he could have easily have done, instead of wiping us out and starting again, instead of doing any of that, he devises a plan where he would come rescue us from our own darkness. He would shine and he would dispel the darkness in humanity. The plan included him becoming a human being, living among us, being born the way we are born, except he was perfect. The plan included him suffering and paying a price for our sins and resurrecting back to life again after he was killed by us. All his plan, all the while offering a way for us to love and have a relationship with a God in whom no darkness is at all. He is, his plan included a way to take our darkness away. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Let me translate that in another way. The light of the world came to the world so that he could come into our hearts and dispel the darkness in our hearts. If we just admit we need him. If we will just simply acknowledge that he is the light of the world and there's Nothing but darkness in us. The best we got isn't good enough. And that we need him. If we do that, we can have right standing with a God in whom no darkness exists at all. The wonderful thing, a wonderful promise that God gives us. We confess. And so one is then made flawless through Christ. Made right with a flawless God. But if we walk in the light, the scripture tells us, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You see, once we accept this gift that God has brought to the world, this light, once we invite him and ask him to forgive our sins, it is necessary for us to remain in the light, walking in that light. And what that simply means in order to stay right with God and in obedience to him, we must obey God. We must do then what God would have us to do. To walk with him is to follow his word and to believe in him. Are you in his flawless light tonight? We've been challenged in this series with some questions. I've asked these questions almost every week as I preach through this. And here is one of them. We live in a world, just to set the question up, we live in a world where God's light has been shining for 2,000 years. It's been here. And God's light has been present and available to us. But 
Have we lived so long with the light around us that we have forgotten the brilliance of it? Have we heard the Christmas story so many times that the story of our king and our salvation, the light of the world, has become more like folklore, a sideline to the holiday that we look forward to tomorrow? Have we? Have we relegated Jesus Christ to the same place as a jolly old man in a red suit, elves and reindeer? Does he belong there in our hearts? If so, we remain in darkness. The fact that Jesus came, that he became one of us, changes everything for us. The fact that he is the light of the world and he has shown us God. The fact that he is Emmanuel, which means God right here with us, means everything for humanity. Do you know the light of the world? Have you ever confessed yourself as a sinner before God? Have you ever asked him? To come into your heart. In reality, Jesus coming to us, becoming one of us, is the biggest and best thing that's ever happened to humanity.